Welcome back. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, today we are going to continue our study in Lessons in Obedience. Uh, we've looked at Jonah, we've looked at Ruth, and we're going to go uh, right into the book of Esther. Um, so we're going to start in Esther chapter 1 and then uh, read a few verses. We'll give a brief overview of the book and uh, see what else we can see and learn from Esther and all of those characters. So Esther chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this Ahasuerus which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia over an hundred and seven and twenty provinces, that in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom which was in Shushan the palace in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even in a hundred and fourscore days. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you again uh, for this opportunity to gather here, to hear your word, to hear your truth. Lord, I pray as we look at uh, an overview of the book of Esther, we prepare to get in, dive into the meat of your word, that you would just work in us today, Lord, that you would guide and direct, that even in this uh, brief flyover, we would see some great truths. So God, please guide us and direct us today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we've talked about a few times before, uh, uniquely, the book of Esther does not mention God. Uh, does not mention God by name, does not even really allude to God, except for in just two places where it talks, uh, where Esther, as Mordecai has given Esther the news that the Jews are going to be, to be destroyed and that she's to go into the king, Esther asks Mordecai to gather all of the Jews in Shushan the palace uh, to fast for her, and that her and her maidens will fast for three days. And then uh, I think there's another reference at the end of the book where it talks about times of fasting. Those are really the only two places where God is even remotely alluded to in the book of Esther. Um, but it's included in our canon of scripture. Uh, it's after the book of Ezra, after the book of Nehemiah. Esther is the last historical book. It is solely historical. There's not a lot of prophecy. Um, Nehemiah and Ezra had some prophecy. They were both uh, prophets. They both spoke. They were both minor prophets speaking on the word from the word of God. But Esther again doesn't have any of that. Um, but the events of Esther take place between uh, 483 BC and 465 BC, which puts them right between the first time that Ezra went back to begin to build the temple, and when Nehemiah went back to begin to build the walls. Ezra went back uh, to build the temple in about 538 BC. He was granted permission from Cyrus the king to go back and begin to build, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah uh, went back being granted permission from uh, Artaxerxes in 445 BC to begin to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So this tells us that there's, there's about 55 years uh, after Ezra that these are still times where uh, the kings of the land were very favorable. Now we have to understand Cyrus, the king that allowed 
uh, Ezra to go back is the same Cyrus that we find in the book of Daniel that Daniel served under. Uh, we also know that in Esther chapter 2, uh, verses 5 and 6, Um, it says, Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimea, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Verse number 6, Who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Mordecai had been carried away during Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Nebuchadnezzar had come in, and of course Israel was being punished for their disobedience from God, and God had allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take away, take the Jews out of the land. He conquered the land, he destroyed the kings, and he dispersed the Jews throughout all of his kingdom so that they could not raise up as a people. Mordecai was taken captive at that time. Now, we don't know how old Mordecai was at that time, um, but if he was just born, he'd be, about, uh, he'd be about 70 years old at this point, between 60 and 70 years old. Um, and this is... So this is where Esther is. The same Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel uh, purposed in his heart that he wouldn't be defiled against uh, with the portion of the king's meat and he stood up and he interpreted the dreams for Nebuchadnezzar when none of the others could, when Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't even tell them the dream. Uh, he interpreted it. And then he interpreted the, the dream about the, the statue and he served on for many years through many different kings this is the, uh, instead of the head of gold that we talked about this morning in the statue of, in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, this is uh, the next level down. This is the, the, the kingdom of silver. This is a strong kingdom. This was a kingdom, uh, says that Ahasuerus served over 127 provinces stretching from modern day India all the way to Ethiopia, the entire Middle East. Jordan, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, all of the, Afghanistan, all of those countries that right now we are having trouble with, Ahasuerus uh, ruled over. The other thing that we need to, that we see in this is that uh, it's believed that this Ahasuerus, he's mentioned in Daniel, he's mentioned in Ezra a little bit, uh, just briefly, but they, modern, or uh, sorry, not modern, but um, secular historians name him as Xerxes. Uh, he is, they claim that Ahasuerus is a transliteration uh, from the Persian to the Hebrew. Most of Esther is written in Hebrew. Uh, they didn't have the letters to transfer it over, so they just did the best they could, and they came up with Ahasuerus. Um, this Xerxes, if, if it is Xerxes the Great, uh, is the father of Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah, that Nehemiah was the cupbearer for. That allowed Nehemiah to go back in. Now, some things that we can learn from all of this background is that this is a time that even though Israel was in captivity, the kings of the time were looking very favorable on Israel because of men like Daniel, because of men like Ezra, because they had served God faithfully and God had prospered them and in turn prospered the kings. Just like Joseph in his day in, in Egypt. God had been with him even in the pit and in the in the, the prison in Potiphar's house and, and God had raised him up uh, to be the second in command over all of Egypt. God had prospered them. The, Jew, the Jews were still in captivity. They were still being punished, but God was giving them some grace and some mercy. So this is a time where uh, the kings are really... Uh, Israel had not is now not a prisoner. 
They're now a citizen. And this tells us a couple of things. One, it, again, it tells us that the kings were, were favorable, that they were no longer afraid of Israel rebelling. They were no longer afraid of, of them rising up and, and uh, trying to, to overthrow them. But also, in that, it tells us that Israel had become acclimated, that they had enjoyed the life that they were living in these places. Because uh, Cyrus had allowed all the Jews that wanted to, to return to Jerusalem, to return to the promised land. Um, Nehemiah is going, um, Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah is going to again allow all the Jews that want to, to return. So these people, uh, Esther, Mordecai, these are Jews who have chosen to stay and remain where they were in Shushan the palace. And we don't know exactly why. We'll talk about that a little bit as we talk about each of the, the main characters that we want to look at. But, but this is a very confusing time. Not much different than it was in Genesis when uh, Moses is leading the children of Israel out and they, they are wanting to go right back to Egypt, right back into that bondage. They were not free, and, and the Jews here are not free. They were still under the rule and reign of these kings, but they are comfortable and that's a very dangerous place to be in the life of a Christian, in the life of someone who wants to follow God, is to be comfortable in the world. Um, we have to live in the world. We have to be a part of the world. Um, you know, we live here. We have neighbors. We have to interact with our neighbors. Some of them are nicer than others. Some of them aren't. Some of them are quieter than others. But we still have to interact with all of them. Um, as we went out Friday, we were able to talk and to speak to a couple of people and uh, we got a couple of different answers. The first gentleman that we were able to talk to immediately, no, I have my own church. Didn't want anything, didn't want to track, didn't want, he just wanted to be done. Um, a couple of the other people that opened the doors, we were, you could tell we were bothering them. They were, we were at very inopportune times and they didn't want to take the time to speak to us. But then there were others that really had a, we were able to have a conversation with and they, and they wanted to talk. They didn't necessarily want to know about the church, but they wanted to know about us. So, we have to be, as Christians, we have to live in the world. We have to work with people that are lost. We can't completely separate ourselves and close ourselves off. But we have to not be comfortable in the world. We have to not be... Um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, allowing... Um, the sins that go on around us. Uh, what? Accepting. Accepting uh, condoning. condoning. Um, we, we can't just be <laughs> condoning. We have to stand up for what God has told us to stand up for. And we're going to see that uh, as, you, as we go through the book of Esther, that you know Esther eventually is going to be able to be in a position where she can stand up and she can make a difference for her people. And that is the encouragement that we have is that God has put us in this position so that we can stand for him and we can be the difference. We know the answer. We know the truth. We know what is the best course of action. And it's because we've refused to stand up for all of these years that our country is where it is today. Um, so again, knowing all of this tells us that the kings were allowing Israel. They were captive. They were uh, essentially prisoners, but kings that were in this time were allowing Israel to continue to worship the way that 
they saw fit. If they wanted to worship their God, they could worship their God. They were allowed to go back and rebuild the temple. They were allowed to make their pilgrimages and worship in the temple um, if they so chose. But unfortunately, much of Israel still chose not to. Um, they were even placing some in, in, in positions of high authority. I mean, we, if we look at Daniel, Daniel was second only to King Darius. Uh, if you go back to, to Daniel chapter 6, you see King Darius is, is uh, who was the king right before, right around, right just before Artaxerxes, uh, just before uh, Ahasuerus, um, before Ezra was allowed to go back, before Darius was the king before Cyrus, which was the one that allowed Ezra to go back. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting that all mixed up. But Darius had put uh, Daniel in command over 12 different princes that commanded all of his rule. Again, Daniel the Jew was put in second in command just under the king. And uh, because of that, these princes hated him. They threw him in the lion's den and and uh, God was God worked through all of that. But all of this is to say that even in times like we have today, even in times like uh, where Israel was in captivity, that, that there are still those times of grace and mercy in God. And we see this uh, knowing and understanding this in Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21 And verse number one says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as the river of water he turneth it whithersoever he will. God, these, these, these kings didn't know our God. They didn't know the God of Esther, the God of Mordecai. Uh, they didn't have a relationship with him, but God was still working in their lives. And we should take courage in that today in knowing that those that are ruling over us, those that are, are making our laws, they don't know our God. They don't care about our God. Even those that we would call conservative, many of them don't know or care about our God. But God is still able. He is still powerful and able to turn their heart in the way that he wants it to go. And we also need to understand that if we're in this position right now, we're here because this is where God wants us. We're not here by accident. We're not facing the things that we're facing in our country by accident. We're facing them because this is where God wants us. This is what God knows that we need in order for us to learn. Just like Gideon with uh, going up against the Midianites. God, Gideon was exactly where God wanted him to be at the time that he wanted him to be there so that he could be uh, encouraged to go up against the Midianites. He went down. It's not by chance that he went down and heard the man telling that dream. It's not by chance that God had given him that dream. It was in God's timing, in God's purpose. So all of this today, we just need to understand. We need to continue to move forward and serve the Lord uh, to the best of our ability, standing on his promises, knowing that he will turn and he will choose which way things need to go. And if they need to go better, then praise the Lord. They're going to get better, and that's what we needed. If they need to get worse, then praise the Lord. They're going to get worse because that's what the world needs. It's not just me, it's the whole world needs to learn and understand these lessons. So the next thing that I just want to talk about as we go through this overview is the different people that are involved. Now, as we went through the book of Ruth, we saw some very clear pictures 
uh, in the book of Ruth. We saw Boaz was a, a great picture of the kinsman redeemer. Ruth is a picture of uh, the Gentile church uh, being brought in when they were not supposed to be, being, being allowed into the family of Christ. We saw Naomi as a picture of Israel, that backslidden, uh, walking away from God, but then God not leaving them helpless. And uh, we saw all of these pictures, and we're going to see a few of those here, but uh, we're also going to, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, they're not as clear of pictures. So the first person that we meet is Ahasuerus. He's the king. Uh, and he's the king that took over from Darius the Mede. This is the Darius that threw Daniel into the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. Um, Daniel died about 538 BC, which is uh, right when, um, right about the same time that Ezra was allowed to come back in and uh, begin to build the temple. Uh, Ahasuerus began to rule in 485 BC and is the father of Artaxerxes, uh, we talked about that a minute ago, who uh, had Nehemiah as his cupbearer, who allowed Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, Ahasuerus ruled over 127 provinces. Imagine uh, ruling over from India all the way to Ethiopia. And this, in comparison, would have been uh, very similar to England in, in their great power when they had the colonies here in the States, they had colonies in Africa, they had uh, all of that section of Europe. Uh, as they had conquered all of that. Um, that that's the whole Middle East. That is an uh, area that is just uh, full of strife today. Um, and many of them, many of these people are uh, haters of the Jews and haters of God. Um, King Ahasuerus throws off his first queen. Uh, she's disobedient. Uh, he's a very prideful man and cannot stand to be disobeyed. Um, and in, a, in all of this, I got ahead of myself. Many people will tell you that King Ahasuerus is a picture of God. And in some ways he is. Uh, we can see a lot of things, uh, a lot of the, the sovereignty, a lot of, the, um, a lot of those things in God. But really when you look at everything that he does, he is actually a picture of Satan. He is a perfect counterfeit to God. Uh, he wants to be God. He wants to be that benevolent ruler. He wants to be uh, that loving, uh, caring person, but he can't be because uh, he's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient, and he's not um, omnipresent. omnipresent. Uh, he's not perfect. He's not holy. He's not just. Um, he throws off his first queen just as God threw off the Jews. Uh, and takes a new one, just as God did the Gentiles. However, uh, th these are reasons that they will say that he's a picture of God, but really when you look at these things, in these pictures, he's that counterfeit, because when he threw off his first queen, he didn't look on her again. God set the Jews aside for a time, for the church age. He's going to come back, and he's going to remember the Jews, and he's going to deal with them during the tribulation and during the millennial reign. He's not done with them. He didn't just cast them off. God offered salvation to the Gentiles not as a replacement of Israel, but in addition to Israel. King Ahasuerus takes Esther as queen as a complete replacement of Vashti, never to be seen again. We are not Israel. 
And this is where, uh, some of this is where doctrine gets completely screwed up with some of these other, uh, the Calvinists and, and uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Many of these believe that we are a complete replacement of Israel, that, that the born-again believer, the Gentile that God has now come to, is a replacement of Israel, that we have all the promises that God has given Israel, and it's absolutely not true. But because of that, some doctrine gets screwed up. God offered salvation to the Gentiles in addition. And as we go through, we'll see how Ahasuerus shows other characteristics of Satan uh, as we get through the whole book. We'll come to the rest of these and, and we'll deal with them as we come. But uh, he is a very prideful man, a, a very um, wicked man. Uh, in just some of the things, some of the ways he interacts. The next person that we see uh, is Vashti the queen. She's the first queen. Uh, she is a great picture of Israel uh, and, and of the lost world. She's rebellious and hard-headed. Her actions mirror quite well the actions of most of the world today. And unfortunately, uh, they, well, not unfortunately, but uh, by design, they mirror the actions of the feminist movement of, t of today. Uh, Vashti was one that she was going to have it her way. She was going to be uh, what she was going to be, and she wasn't going to let the king, the sovereign ruler of the land, who God had put in place, she wasn't going to let him tell her what to do. Uh, the results are not very different either. Vashti is thrown off, and uh, when you look at most of the people that follow the feminist movement today, they're in a very bad way, and it's very unfortunate, but... Uh, God has given us each roles and, and, and things that we need to do. And if we are veering out of those roles, then we're not being blessed by God. The next person we see is Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai is a Jew. And the thing that we need to remember about Mordecai is that Mordecai was given the chance to return to the promised land. He was given the chance to go back and worship God the way that God wanted the Jews to. And he chose to stay. Now, we don't know why he chose to stay. It might be. We know that Mordecai uh, has some freedom to come in and out of the gate of the palace. Uh, he's allowed to go uh, into the, the court of the women and uh, have interactions with, with uh, not Haggai, with, with the, the eunuch that is over the court of the women um, so that he can speak back and forth to Esther. Uh, he is, he's given some leeway and we don't know if that's because he was a porter. We don't know if that's because he had some kind of, of authority under the king that the king had granted him or put him in a position. But we know that in any case, he chose to stay. Um, and this, But he's a man who stands on his convictions. When, when Haman has come in and the king has, has given the order that, that everyone should bow and do reverence to Haman, Mordecai refuses because he doesn't want to because he's a Jew, because uh, as a Jew, he should only uh, bow and, and worship God alone. But all of this, all of the, this standing on his convictions only happens when it benefits him or is not going to be an embarrassment to him. Mordecai is a man uh, full of pride. Um, you know, Daniel is a man who stood on his convictions. He wouldn't be defiled by the portion of the king's meat. And God used that to raise him up uh, and put him in positions of power with the king. But Dan the difference between Daniel and Mordecai is Daniel did these things in a way that not only honored God, but didn't dishonor the king. 
and didn't uh, dishonor those that were around him. Daniel was respected by all those except for the 12 princes that were underneath him that tried to have him killed. Mordecai, uh, as he stands on his convictions when it's convenient for him, he does so in a way that, that brings dishonor to other people and points turns them against him. And it, it's, very, um, it's very interesting to see uh, this interaction. But Mordecai is a compassionate man. He chose to raise his uncle's daughter, his cousin, uh, Hadessa or Esther, after uh, his uncle and his wife were killed. She was left an orphan. Um, and he looks after Esther just like he, she is his own daughter. Um, but it's also interesting to note that we don't hear that Mordecai has a wife or any other children. So it could very well be that uh, Mordecai is a widower. It could be that uh, his wife and his children were killed um, or have passed away sometime during the, the time of the captivity. It could be that they were of those that were killed by Nebuchadnezzar as they were taken away uh, into captivity. We don't know that. We don't know a lot of the background. We just know what we see in the book of Esther. And then we have uh, Hadessah or Esther. Uh, Esther is the cousin of Mordecai. She's obviously a Jew. And she looks to Mordecai for everything and follows his every command without hesitation for the most part. Uh, there's a brief hesitation as she's been uh, made queen that, that she uh, hesitates to go into the king and she asks for the fasting. But, but other than that, she... Uh, she follows Mordecai's directions completely. Uh, she is a, a picture of what the Christian should be, uh, of how we should interact with God, our Heavenly Father. And apparently she was a very beautiful woman. Uh, as we'll, we'll see when she's brought in before the king, she doesn't need anything. Uh, she doesn't need any extra apparel. She doesn't need anything to prove uh, her worth. And not only is she a very beautiful woman on the outside, but she is a, a woman uh, on the inside that is willing to stand uh, for her convictions. And then we see Haman. Haman uh, is a... Um, just because I can't remember the word. An Agagite, yes. Haman is an Agagite, which is um, one of the children of Amalek. So he is also was also taken into captivity uh, as Persia took over and, and invaded all of these countries. But uh, he is of the tribe. He is of the children of Amalek. He's in in uh, Judges. Gideon is getting ready to go against the Midianites and the Amalekites. Uh, the Amalekites are, are enemies of Israel because uh, Israel was in their land. Israel didn't do their job and, and push them completely out of the land, didn't destroy them, but allowed them to stick around. So there's, there's some historical tension there between Haman and Mordecai, a Jew. But there is also uh, just the tension in the fact that Haman is a very prideful man. He, he's a man who's been lifted up into a position of some authority and, and has a, a very... Uh, big head to the to the point where um, as all of this is going on and Haman is building the the gallows to hang Mordecai and uh, that that the king calls Haman in to say what should I do to the man that, that that I want to honor and Haman can't think of anybody else that the king would want to honor more than him he's that prideful of a man his head is his ego is that big that it couldn't be possibly be anybody else yet 
we obviously know that, that the king wants to uh, wants to uh, honor Mordecai because Mordecai had, uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But this is this is what where Haman is. He's full of pride, and this is his downfall. Uh, as we go through the book of Esther, we need to look at each of these characters, and we need to while they're not really clear pictures we can see traits and characteristics from each of these people in us in ourselves and we must sift through their faults and their bad qualities and find the good that god wishes for to reveal to us um as we go through this esther is again there's not much talk of god but esther is full of god's providence and god's uh hand and when I read the book of Esther, I don't see myself in the story, but I see myself in the context. And I look at my life as I was growing up and, and the time that I spent until I was uh, in my early 20s not believing in God because you couldn't physically show me proof that he existed. We talked about it a little bit this morning. Um, that... that the world has no excuse to not know that God is here. And I didn't have an excuse. I, I would look at, I would go through science class and I would look at being taught at the way the cells are formed and, and all of the things that have to ha happen just for a plant to be able to grow. And I would see that it could have happened, I would say that it could have happened by chance. I, I couldn't see God in that, even though the evidence was right there in front of me. Look at the, the hairs on my arm and just the, the, multitude of DNA and, and things that uh, change the colors. I'm getting a little older. My beard is starting to change colors. And um, the things that are happening in order for that to happen. And I would think it happened by chance. The evidence is right there in front of me. Nothing happens by chance. I had no excuse. As you read through the book of Esther, God is left completely out of it, but God is directing every bit of it. Just like God directed my life all the way from the time I was born, all the way till now, to bring me here so that we could be meeting here today, so that you could be hearing the word of God, so that we could be a witness in this community. It was all directed and orchestrated by God. Just like the book of Esther is. Those are some of the very brief things that we need to remember as we look through this. We will uh, dive into chapter one tomorrow or next week, excuse me, not tomorrow, but next Sunday, and really uh, start to dig in uh, to the life of Ahasuerus and, and the things that are going on here in the book of Esther. So.